I didn't take my own, I didn't take responsibility. I was blaming the alcohol and not realizing that I have the power inside of me. Um, and not alcohol. Alcohol doesn't have the power over me. I'm giving alcohol the power. Say that again. I'm giving alcohol the power by blaming alcohol for everything and not taking full responsibility for my feelings and where I am in life. I gave my own power away. And that's why it kept holding me in such a tight grip and creating this vicious circle. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every single moment on my life helping other people do the same like right now. How you doing folks? Hope you're doing well and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Nick Prefontaine last week talking about his ideas of using his step paradigm in order for him to get through any obstacle that comes his way. And, you know, I just want to put it out there and say that I wholly believe that no matter what obstacle is put in your way, either you, either you have the resources, the tenacity, the skills, the experience, the bravery, the courage, the enlightenment, uh, whatever it takes, you can do it, you can overcome it, or you know somebody or you know somebody who knows somebody to help you get through it. It's a question of, whenever you have an obstacle in front of you, is how am I going to get past this thing? How am I going to get over it? How am I going to get around it? How am I going to get under it? How am I going to get through it? How am I going to move it out of the way completely? How can I transform this? How can I turn this obstacle into my greatest gift, right? Rather than I can't. I can't. I should. That kind of stuff that drags you below the line, activates your part, your inner child that's like, I ain't, being, I ain't gonna be able to do this, right? The power that you have within yourself is incredible. And people like Nick Prefontaine and people like Hans Weigel today, they're just mentors. They're people who have managed to find a way, a way, right? Um, to get through an obstacle and they're giving it back to you, hoping that something will click. And at the very least, you'll give it a go, all right? So Nick Prefontaine last week, step, give it a go. Um, and I'm gonna give you something to, to give it a go today, right? So I'm gonna give you something that I want you to do, all right? This is what I want you to do. I want you to email me at thestrivemethod at gmail.com, right? And I want you to say, Lee, I want to join the Strive Discord channel. It's free, don't have to pay any money. And the reason I want you to join is I want you to commit to every day, that's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, folks, every single day, I want you to commit to going into the Discord community and sharing five wins. That's five wins every single day. You've got to force yourself to think about your day and say, what was it about today that was a win for me? What was it that was a triumph? What was it that I did that moved me forward an inch? It doesn't have to be some amazing kaboom moment like, oh, I want to share a win because I got a new job today. Oh, I want to share a win because I fell in love today. Oh, I want to share a win because I got promoted today. It could be I want to share a win. I really didn't want to reach out to Lee and respond to him and write to him at the strive method at gmail.com and I did it, right? That in itself is still a massive win. Why do I want you to do this? 
One of the reasons that we drink alcohol is because we have sank into our modus operandi, a foundational response of pessimism, skepticism, um, moody, groany, moany, life is happening to me types of behaviors, right? So whenever you talk to somebody, you might find yourself moping and groping, gossiping and complaining about the world, right? That's because when we look at our world, that's what we see. We don't see any joy. We don't see any happiness. We don't see any wins. If we see it, it's just little glimpse of beautiful seashells in this vast beach of sand and stone, right? But it's not reality, okay? It's not reality. So I want to challenge you to instead of looking at your life like it's a pile of shit, it's a look at your life like it's golden, like it's amazing, that like you are actually doing some real good in the world, in people's lives. Think of the mother who drinks wine every night because she thinks she's a shit mum. Hang on a minute. Pull back that record. What did you do today that really helped your child? Right? What did you do that really helped them? Okay? So think of those five wins. And if you do that consistently, all of a sudden, every day, you're like, yeah, boom, smashed it. One, boom, smashed it. Two, kapow, smashed it. Three, kapow. Bollocks, smashed it four, and zippy zap, zooby doo, doo, finger majiggy, wits it, did it five times. You do that every day, all of a sudden your life becomes different. Your paradigm, your understanding of what you're doing and who you are and your self worth and your hope, stores start to increase, less likely you'll need to drink alcohol. All right? So, there's Strive Method at gmail.com. Please, could I join Strive on Discord? Yes, sure, you can. I'm going to commit to doing five wins every single day. Get in there! Okay, today's guest, his name is Hans Weigel. Hans is a breathwork facilitator and life coach. After working for his family business for 15 years and struggling with depression and anxiety, he discovered the power of breathwork. The intensity of the first breathwork session, comparable to work with psychedelics, radically changed his life and gave him a new purpose. He decided to quit his job in order to spend more time with his children while they were still young exploring his own consciousness and supporting others who are struggling with depression, anxiety, and addiction. He now works as a breathwork facilitator to support people who want to make radical changes in their life, find more purpose, meaning, and reclaim their power. I also know, and you'll hear about it, his hands had his own struggles with alcohol, and he doesn't drink today, right? Use breathwork to help him get over that hump. You can connect with Hans through his Facebook page, which is www.facebook.com forward slash Hans, that's H-A-N-S, full stop, Y-Gold, W-H-Y-G-O-L-D, or through his webpage, pneumorphosis.com, spelled P-N-E-U-M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S. If you didn't get any of that, just email me at strivemedicima.com and say, how do I get hold of this genius? So without further ado, I'm going to shut the hell up. Actually, I'm not. Let me just give you one more challenge. When you finish listening to Hans Weigold, I want you to find or reach out to Hans himself. Reach out to Hans, find out when his free breathwork session is happening and join it. It will be an absolute game changer for you. Now, without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of this beautiful human being, Hans Weigold. Hans. It's been a long time. You're in your car, but where in the world are you parked in your car? Um, right now, I'm I'm living in North Carolina, United States. Hmm. Uh, You're right not from North, North Carolina, though, are you? 
No, I grew up in Germany. I've mm. been in North Carolina for about 16 years now. What's the place like? Um, right now it's hot and humid, <laughs> yeah. but it's beautiful. It's right on the ocean. Uh, lots of water and salt and sand. So me and you, we met in a, um, a brotherhood called the Vanguard, which seems to have fallen apart. I was uh, speaking to Nikhil the other day. I was like, what gives? Where did it go? <laughs> and um, yeah, they aren't doing other different things. But um, maybe we'll start there, you know, and uh, I can also share my experience as well. But what were the key moments in your life that led to you being in a movement full of other men? Um, well, I, I, I met Nikhil uh, through looking for someone to help me develop my breathwork business and website. And so he invited me um, at the same time to join the Vanguard. So it was literally was more about trying to grow your business, less about, oh, I, I have this need and this urge and this wound. It was none of that stuff. Right. Um, but I think it was a great addition. I think I met some very powerful and interesting men in the process. And mm. yeah, had also some, yeah, it was a good learning experience. Was there anything that came up for you that you would like to share with the audience um, when you was working on the Vanguard at all? Um, No, I, I, I don't think I have anything to sh share about the Vanguard at this point. Mm. Mm. Okay. So tell me a little bit about your history with alcohol. What were, you, what were your first, your first, because um, I'm, I'm a great believer at Stride that we're, we're born into this system. Like I call it alcoholism, this uh, invisible, right. violent and dominant belief system that really makes it difficult for you not to drink. It's almost like we're programmed and designed to drink it, right? So what were your first early memories of, of that system growing up? Yeah, I think my first memory was, well, first of all, it was very well accepted. Every, every, all the adults around me were drinking alcohol. And when I was in high school, um, there was a lot of, I had a lot of friends that I liked and they started drinking alcohol and I thought, oh, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> I need to do that. And I remember my first beer and I really hated the taste. I didn't like it at all. Um, yet I drank it because my friends around me were drinking it. And yeah, I had four or five drinks and got really drunk. And <laughs> I liked that. I had a good time. And then it quickly became just part of your everyday life did it i suppose yeah um the first or the last couple of years in high school it was just a weekly habit that's what we did just get drunk mm -hmm. we work hard during the week for school and then once it's friday school is over we start drinking and we just drink before till we're absolutely drunk and that habit stuck with me for yeah, a very, very long time that I didn't drink beer to enjoy a beer. I drank to get drunk. Is that um, that modus operandi? Is that, um, does that mirror the German culture? It's, it's not, a, it's not a, a being to, 
Berlin, spent some time there and really enjoyed it. But I, I don't understand the, the alcohol culture there like I do in America, for example, or the UK. Um, at least in the circle where I was, people generally drank to get drunk. Yes. Mm. Um, I've never been to Oktoberfest, but I understand that's the whole reason. <laughs> Just <laughs> yeah. Drink beer and get, yeah. Okay. When did you, when did you start to question why you was drinking? Mm. I started questioning it about maybe 10 years ago um, because it wasn't serving me any purpose anymore. I, I was just really feeling bad on the weekends and the morning when I woke up and wasn't able to function properly. And even before that, I always had this guilt in me for drinking because I thought, oh, this can't be good for me. And I started feeling guilty. And I think that guilt alone was really another motivator to drink more because I had to numb those feelings of guilt. Mm. Mm. Tell me more about those feelings of guilt. Yeah, I just just thought, wow, this this is this is not good for me, and I should stop. I shouldn't drink so much. But then once you start drinking and you have friends that drink all the time, it's really hard to hang out with those friends and not drink. So, and when I was feeling that guilt, I, I just wasn't feeling good about myself. And some friends were saying, oh, you're drinking too much. Other thing, Other friends were even bringing up guilt in me by saying, well, why are you not drinking with me today? <laughs> mm. So it was guilt from both sides. Either I was feeling guilty for drinking or I was feeling guilty because friends who I used to drink with, I didn't drink because I thought, oh, I need to slow down. I need to drink a little less. Mm. So you, you, you go, <clears throat> you get in, you get the shackles of the system, get you like they get everybody in the West. We just want to be a man, I guess, and just like everybody else and just drink and just do the thing that everybody else is doing. And we're not even consciously really aware of it. And then at some point, and this doesn't happen for everybody, but for at some point, something changed and you started feeling guilty because the painful aspects of alcohol started to probably you know, let's say if we've got, I got scales here for anybody who's not, who's not watching the video, but let's say the scales of pleasure and pain at some point, they're really, this, the, the pleasure is really up high and the pain's down here. And at some point the pain started to come up a little bit with hangovers and maybe your interest in self-help and development and growth started to, to happen. And all of a sudden alcohol is a little bit different to that, but then you find it difficult to stop because everybody around you is drinking Talk into that fear a little bit, if you would. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm, that I, 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 I just I struggle to disappoint my friends, friends that I had, friends that are hanging out, 
because they said, oh, wow, why are you such a party pooper? Why are you not drinking with me today? And I had a fear of losing the friends or having a good time. Mm. And then I said, oh, okay, okay, let's just have a beer today and keep drinking. I can always not drink tomorrow. Mm. Um, when I when I first started drinking that heavily, always get drunk, I always told myself, well, this is just on the weekends. You know, I don't drink every day. It's just on the weekend. So it's okay. A little bit doesn't hurt. But then, you know, we started going out on Wednesday. So I started doing the same on Wednesday. And yeah, it just became more often and often. Mm, the same thing happened in the UK. We would always go out on Friday, always go on Saturday, all day Sunday. And then yeah. they introduced Thursday drinking. Mm -hmm. And then in some, in Newport and Cardiff, the cities, they would have Wednesday night drinking for students. So now you, and then Tuesday night, there'd be a poker game. You kind of run it, you're running out everything involved alcohol. And suddenly, even on your, your day off, you're, you're stopping off at the off license on the way home to grab a bottle or a beer with friends or something. And it just becomes all consuming, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And, I guess one thing I struggled with because I started drinking so much at a time when I was young, I couldn't sit down and drink one beer because if I go out during the week, drink one beer, I didn't like the feeling. So I just kept drinking more and more because I don't know. It's if I had one beer and I went home, I, I, there's nothing I was interested in doing anymore. I wasn't interested in watching a movie, reading a book, doing any work. It was either for me drinking or not drinking. Are you talking about some sort of like we have a pint and then all of a sudden that pint sets up an expectation um, biologically or psychologically that the next four or five hours are going to be magical and we break that spell by just going home. But but the 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 feeling and the urge and the anticipation is still there. Is that is that what you're talking about? Um, yeah, it's. I don't know physically. I, yeah, I, I guess I drank one beer and then I wasn't satisfied with. I didn't feel the way I wanted to feel. So there was always okay. If I drink one more, I'll feel better. Maybe one more, and mm. but. That never happened. It always led to another beer and another beer. Mm, which, of course, the it's that's the, uh, the 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 deadly cycle, right? It's like each beer right. you have sets up that uh, biological chain reaction, psychological chain reaction, anticipating the next one and feeling really disappointed until it arrives. Until at some point, all of those executive the executive functions and everything else shuts down. And you just are in the blackout zone and you don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> and it's just all ha happening super. Let's say one minute we're unconsciously drinking, then we're like, I don't even know what blackout is. Like we're way below, we're way below that. My, mine was always, I don't actually remember particular feelings and sensations. Mine was just more robotic. Mine was just like, if I buy a bottle of wine, I'm going to drink it. If I buy a six-pack, I'm going to drink a six-pack. And then if I run out, it would all depend on what time it was, who I was with, what I was doing, would activate this, the next set of instructions that are pre-programmed in my mind. Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like 
certain certain setups and scenery and environments and certain cast members when i see them there's almost like a robotic arm in my my mind going through the library going okay hans is here he's just popped around the house it's eight o'clock at night what do we do oh we ask him if he wants a beer right like that's how i would work yeah yeah i think i can relate to that it's always kept myself i'm not gonna drink a beer but then if i if i popped into the right friends i said grab a beer and then my thought process stopped okay beer and even if i had the thought okay i'm just gonna drink one as soon as the beer was finished it was like an automatic reorder rebuy drink more mm-hmm. like my whole intention everything completely disappeared from my mind mm. yeah in in the uk we we always had um stop tap at some point would be like half past 10 11 o'clock at night and we would stop drinking go over to the chinese across the road get a singapore chow mein try to pull a woman and go back and have sex all night that was like the plan right mm-hmm. and that's what happened we didn't go home and drink more that's what happened and then they started to have lock-ins. So the stop tap would go 11 o'clock and then they would shut the doors and you would stay behind drinking until three o'clock in the morning. And mm-hmm. then you expect, and then you, your paradigm changes and that's your new expectation. And, and, and that, that's how my life was. It was, if they changed the rule from nightclubs opening, uh, open until one o'clock in the morning until nightclubs open until six o'clock in the morning, then my brain would say, oh, it's open till six o'clock in the morning. You've got to be there till six o'clock in the morning. And if you're there, you've got to drink. It was just so robotic. And I think for me, Hans, that, that was what did it for me was waking up one day, realizing, holy shit, like I'm, I've got no willpower here at all. I've got no self. There's no, there's nothing. I'm nobody. I'm just a set of instructions. I'm a robot. I'm a set of instructions. It's just happening automatically. And I felt completely out of control, which didn't really jive with me very well. Mm-hmm. Right. We, we, we let the alcohol take away our power and we give all the power to the alcohol. It's like it yes. starts controlling us. Yes. And I, I just come off a coaching call where I was the client talking about my issues with control. Mm-hmm. And I can clearly see how my inner child issues with control helped me quit alcohol. Because once I put alcohol in that mother, father, teacher, boss kind of role, I, I fight against that. I don't want to be controlled. My, actually, my, my demons and my shadows and my unhealthy, dysfunctional side of myself help me quit alcohol, <laughs> if that makes sense. Right. Yes, this, 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 control, this control issue is a big, was a big part for me. Mm-hmm. And... By, by feeling guilty and blaming, I started blaming alcohol, right? I always said, oh, I wish I wouldn't drink so much. Oh, I wish I hadn't started. And by blaming alcohol, I started giving my power away, right? Yeah. Because I didn't take my own, I didn't take responsibility. I was blaming the alcohol and not realizing that I have the power inside of me, Um and not alcohol. Alcohol doesn't have the power over me. I'm giving alcohol the power. Say that again. I'm giving alcohol the power by blaming alcohol for everything and not taking full responsibility for my mm. feelings and where I am in life. I gave my own power away. 
And that's why it kept holding me in such a tight grip and creating this vicious circle. You know, what Hans just said there is just like, it's amazing. You know, I've said this a few times on the podcast that um, for a long time, I felt really uncomfortable sharing my truth, which was for me, quitting alcohol was really easy. And I felt really uncomfortable sharing that truth because I was worried that people wouldn't relate to me. They would be like, oh, well, it was easy for him. He doesn't understand the struggle. Therefore, I'm not going to hire him as a coach. I'm not going to join his community, whatever. Um, and of course, it's not that simple for everybody, right? But what Hans just said there, when, once you get that and you understand that, um, that when you look in the mirror and you accept that you are a supremely powerful individual with so much more capability than you ever, you will never, by the time you leave this planet, you will never fathom and never experience the power of most, most of us. Uh, it's not until we're forced into extreme situations that we can respond in the way we can. Um, and here we are, you know, <laughs> thinking we can't stop drinking. It, it's, such, it's such a paradox, right? It is, right. <laughs> For me, it was also very easy to stop drinking. But then it was hard to... I always would stop drinking and then I would start again because then I started giving the power away to other people because they suddenly, yeah, like I said, they told me, yeah, party pooper, drink with me, have some fun. And then I let that, um, I, Again, that guilt came back up and I didn't realize, well, I mean, that I have power. They don't have the power over me. They cannot, they cannot instill guilt in me and make me feel bad for not drinking with them. That is my choice, my decision. Yes. I'll handle that. See, this, see, this, is, this is the complexity of addiction that I don't feel that our National Health Service in the UK, using them as an example, understand. You know, it's, it's, here's a questionnaire on alcohol use disorder. And if you answer these 15 questions in the affirmative, then you have, you, 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 you know, you're, you're addicted to alcohol, right? And, you know, I look at a checklist like that and I'm like, holy shit, when I grew up, everybody, right? That's, that's, that's wrong. The vast majority of adults would tick these boxes, would be deemed as alcohol, suffer from alcohol use disorder. And they, they would not only disagree with that, they, they would actually believe that what they're drinking is a, is a great amount and they wish they could drink more, right? Like it's, it's that the, the view of addiction is so wrong because very often that what you just spoke about, whereas it's easy for me to stop drinking, but it's not so easy for me then to reintegrate with my friends. That to me is part of the addiction. It, that, so when people say I'm not addicted to alcohol, my problem is, is um, I don't know how to interact around my friends. No, no, no. You, you're addicted to alcohol. You're using alcohol as a compensative strategy to deal with the fact that you are giving your power away to these people outside of you. And, and, and that, that problem needs to be catered for within whatever um, help there is out there in 
a national health service or strive or aa or something like that and so that brings up the question that that i'm currently having with my strivers today is well what is our metric do we want to count alcohol free days do we want to be alcohol free in which case yeah boom we're alcohol free but I'm alone and I don't know how to talk and relate to people. And I've just ostracized myself from everybody. Or do we switch the metric and say, well, I want to be more well, fill in the box, self-led life, as we say, more conscious, living above the line, whatever you want to put it. I think it's the latter. I think that's the metric should be. How am I more, pre- how, how present and conscious am I? versus oh do i drink or not because when i stopped drinking ads i was a right idiot i'm still an idiot but i just didn't drink i just laid a lot on you there what, what are your thoughts well so, so, some of my thoughts are uh yes i think one struggle with drinking was also i couldn't be by myself i couldn't be alone i was always seeking company to comfort me seeking company as an escape mechanism Mm. and well with most company drinking is just socially accepted as a social uh, social thing to do Mm. and so that was a very big part for me to getting comfortable being alone being comfortable with myself and uh, yeah, because I was I was really running away from myself, running away from running away from my feelings and seeking others to to comfort me. And through my breath work and some work meditation I've done, I suddenly started feeling comfortable with myself comfortable with being who i am and allowing my feelings that was a very important part for me mm. i mean lots of people talk about uh, in the coaching circles and you got to learn to love yourself first you know and right I, think, I mean maybe somewhere before that is <laughs> you gotta you gotta figure out who who the, who the hell you are yeah. Uh, I mean, with me, it's like accepting that I'm not as straightforward as the world wants me to be. You know, like there's men, there's women, there's. I mean, even that conversation is different these days and complicated. And but let's just stick with the old days of I'm a man, I'm a woman, but I'm not just a man. You know, like I have masculine traits, I have feminine traits. I have um, sensitive parts of myself. I have aggressive parts. I have judgmental parts. I have childlike princess parts. And and for me, the journey is like finding those and allowing them to speak and to let me know what's going on for them. So I, I imagine for you, at some point, a part of you felt really lonely and afraid when you weren't surrounded by people and was would take control and, and then another part would take control to protect that part by drinking. Another part would say, Oh, 
you're afraid right now, I'm going to solve this. I'm going to find a group of people and they drink. So we're going to drink with them and we'll be accepted and you won't feel lonely and afraid. If you're struggling with alcohol addiction, you're in luck. At no time in history have there been so much choice to find sobriety as there is today. So why the Strive Method? Where so many processes focus on quitting alcohol, the Strive Method helps you get to the root of the reason why you drink alcohol. You can quit alcohol and still emanate from a place of pain and suffering. Who wants that? I certainly didn't. I feel I understand myself better than any time in my life. The Strive Method didn't just help me quit alcohol, it helped save my marriage and learn to be myself for the first time in my life. It's more than a place I want to be, it's a place I have to be. Yes, absolutely. Um, Through breathwork, I, I really found a part inside of me that I neglected all of my life, that I didn't give any attention to, that I didn't even knew existed and um that part wanted attention right and since i wasn't giving it attention i was always going out to find other people's attention um i had all the best intentions not to drink and could do it once i was alone but i just couldn't be alone (laughs) Mm -hmm. um Yes, because of this this cry of attention from deep inside of me that I was neglecting. And I I, I really learned to find that part and accept it and give it some love and attention and was finally okay with being alone. And once I was being okay alone and being with myself, I started being okay around other people drinking and not drinking. That was an interesting shift that happened. Mm. And when they were saying something like, oh, drink with me. And I just, yeah, it didn't make me feel guilty anymore. It didn't make me feel pressured. Let's break that that down. No, go on, Karen. Yeah, because this missing part was getting attention. So it wasn't trying trying to get positive attention from someone else because I I was... I was listening inside mm. and giving myself the attention I needed. So let, let's break that down for the audience who are listening then. So what I'm hearing you say is that at some point um, you unconsciously drank alcohol because everybody else was drinking alcohol. And then at some point something changed. Maybe we maybe driven by the guilt, we we have an increased awareness, we start asking more questions and more self-introspection. Maybe it's just age and experience and growing up. Maybe you read a book, whatever, and you start questioning it and you realize, holy shit, like I actually feel pretty uncomfortable when I'm alone. And I can and I can see now why I would drink alcohol, right? And then We'll, when we'll explore this in the in the next part of the podcast, you find breath work and through meditation and other modalities, you tap into a part of you that is 
that you didn't even know existed that really needed your love and attention and to be seen, heard, witnessed, et cetera. Now, here's an important part that I want to ask you, I guess, is um, for anybody listening to this. So, so you then, through breathwork, learn to identify this part and communicate with this part and was able to then be alone. But I imagine there are still periods where this part feels alone. It's not like you killed the part, right? It's not like you found the part or killed and cured it. I imagine there are times you still feel alone and then you had to use your breath work and other modalities to tap into the part to say, hey, I sense that you're feeling alone again right now. What's up? Or, or if you completely and utterly, like that part just is completely with it and doesn't get lonely anymore. Um, <laughs> it does. Um, absolutely. But then I change the mindset that I need, that I need anything from the outside. Um, to to feel what I want to feel, that I can create it from within. So through breathwork, I also learned journaling. So if, if this part needs any attention, I can really sit down and start journaling and write what I'm feeling, what's going on inside of me. And therefore... Yeah, therefore, give more attention to that part. Mm. Have you ever and done non-dominant handwriting? Do what? Have you ever done non non-dominant handwriting when you're journaling? No, I have not attempted yet. So, are you are you right-handed or left-handed? I'm I'm right-handed. Okay, yeah. So it's almost like um, uh, tapping in tapping into this part of you that is feeling really lonely. And then get in your journal and then just writing in your journal, hey, I sense that you're feeling really lonely now. What's up? And then you switch the pen into your left hand and then you respond from the lonely part. I'm, I'm feeling really sad right now. And then you just switch your pen again and go, oh, yeah, tell me more. What's going on for you? And you switch your hand and it's like, I don't like to be alone. And then as you're, as you're visually looking at what's going on on the paper in front of you, you'll see that the, the, the childlike part of you that is feeling really alone is actually responding in a childlike scribble. Right. And, and, and your, your mind relates and is able to, uh, to create that separation between self and inner child in order for you to grow and develop that relationship more than it being sometimes it, it, uh, they can be blurred and enmeshed and difficult to extract like what part of me is self and what part of me is this wounded child you know so yeah i do that sometimes find it really really helpful oh yeah i really like that idea i'm mm. definitely gonna give it a try um also it's always great to try something new and try to learn something that you can't do like writing with your left hand Mm. Yeah, coloring. Talk. I just I like talking, talking to my parts. You think I'm a raven lunatic if you see me walking down the street sometimes. So, <laughs> so you say through breath work, you learn to access these parts. And then you said through 
breathwork you found journaling. So talk about that journey. How did you go from, for anybody listening here who is is like, well, I totally get hands. I find it easy to start drinking. And my difficulty is actually needing this external validation in order for me to exist. And then Hans, as sounds like he found the answer through breath work. So how, talk about that a little bit, how you found that, how you progressed. Um, I, I think one thing what made a huge difference for me is through breath work, I suddenly stopped blaming alcohol and feel guilty about it. I started looking at it at a different angle because now I can say I'm the happiest I am in my life. And alcohol was part of the journey of getting me here, right? Here where I am. So I stopped blaming it and feeling guilty about it. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> if I hadn't done that, I don't know if I would be at the place where I am right now. And breathwork really helped me seeing that, seeing that this cry from intention, cry for intention from inside, which made me drink, made me see company, um, was really what got me here. So it's changing the whole thing for blaming and feeling guilty about alcohol for being grateful that it was in my life. And by being grateful about it, I stopped fighting it. That, that was another thought, you know, by fighting it and trying to stop and not managing to stop. It made it so much harder to stop because all these negative emotions. But then I suddenly thought, wait a minute, that's okay. I drank. Okay, of course, maybe I drank more than I should have, but here I am now. I'm alive, I'm I'm healthy, I'm 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 great shape, and alcohol was a very important part in getting me to where I am. Mm. So by completely accepting my history and not regretting, letting go of any regrets for my choices. Um I finally was able to completely let go and use lose any interest in it. Mm, I like that. Yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people they feel yeah they regret their choices. They keep saying, "Oh, I wish I hadn't stopped drinking. I wish I, I wish I would would have stopped earlier. I wish I would have more strength." And by saying, "No, it's okay. That was me. That was part of me, and I accept that part of me." That made me, me drink. to me to me what you're describing there is um, it's it's a more advanced way of thinking than when I was given up drinking. You know, when I was given up drinking, I really made alcohol the enemy, and 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 I and I used that as a way to stop, but it did not result in growth. It, it didn't result in as much growth as it could have. I mean, I think anybody who stops drinking alcohol, let, let's use this, let, I use a video game analogy, right? let's say when we're drinking alcohol we're at, we're at the uni level right we haven't even got to level one yet we stop drinking and we we because we just stopped we suddenly at real level one already just that decision to stop drinking because we're not putting poison in our body right so straight away even if we don't go on a treadmill we're healthier right like because we're not putting so we're at level one um now the whole purpose of strive is to get to level i don't know 
whatever, like thousands, right? What, what you're talking about in, in terms of being able to look at alcohol as your friend and to realize and accept that everything that happened in your life led to you being this beautiful, um, perfectly imperfect human being you are today is like several levels up there, you know, which is, again, why I really en- encourage people to um, not stop doing the work or having the hard fun, whatever you want to use when you stop drinking, like just keep, keep shooting for the moon. Like keep, keep going there because there is, it's so easy to stop drinking and still be a complete dickwad, right? Like it's, it's so easy. Um, so breath work though, people listen, some people might not even know what breath work is. Some people might be, what's he on about? How, how can he find um peace and harmony how can he find journaling how, how can he find these things in prep work it doesn't make sense what's he saying <clears throat> so the, the the type of breath work that i facilitate um you do a conscious connected deep diaphragmatic breath for about one hour while listening to uh soundtrack a specifically made soundtrack for this type of breath work and um, by doing this breathing exercise, you change your oxygen and CO2 ratio in your body, which helps you slow down the default network in the brain. And with, by doing that, we can get out of the thinking mind and get into states of expanded consciousness. Um, where you are able to dive into your subconscious. You can bring out any stuck emotions that you have, any childhood traumas, um, anything that is holding you back. The experiences very, very much depends on the individual and how, um, how able we are to let go of our thinking mind. But once we let go of the thinking mind, one thing we can learn that all these negative emotions we have that keep holding us back in life, that keep keep us addicted, keep us from doing the things we do, we can turn them around. We can change them. Um, this breathwork that I do was invented by Stanislaw Graf. Or it derives from what Stanislaw Graf invented 40 years ago. It's called holotropic breathwork. And it is extremely powerful in healing, healing traumas, um, be helping us become more aware and more conscious and bring to awareness the subconscious thinking patterns that um, dictate our life. Like I'm feeling really lonely and I don't know why. So I'm going to go drink alcohol to feel less lonely. Like while doing through doing breath work, more realizations around the nuances and the whys about how that happened may come bubbling into the conscious mind is that what you're saying 
Um, yes. <laughs> um, yes, it can. It can help us to, yeah, just bring to light <laughs> what we are not aware of, um, and let us look at a life from a different angle. It can show us that we are so powerful, so much more powerful than we believe because we are suddenly able to create this expanded states of consciousness this this different mindset without taking any substance without taking anything in our body just by breathing we're focusing on the breath changing the way we breathe and feeling in our body we can really change change the way how we feel yeah because there's there's there's, um there's people out there that say that breath work i mean i i've had a i would say maybe five breath work sessions in my life right so not a lot Mm -hmm. and each facilitator has said uh you can have experiences that are similar to psychedelic experiences and there's a part of me that's really pessimistic about that. There's a part of me that's like, how can that happen? All we're doing is breathing. I mean, if that was true, why would anybody be taking any drugs? But they wouldn't be saying it if it wasn't happening. Uh, I guess that is my my resistance, my pessimism would actually prevent me from experiencing that, right? Right. And uh, prefer can bring up a lot of resistance. Um. It's all about pushing through that resistance, if any resistance comes up. Mm. Um, My first breathwork session was just as powerful as many psychedelic sessions. It is not always like that, and it's not for everybody like that. It very much depends. But mine took me so deep, and that's when I clicked and said, wait a minute, (laughs) I can do this just by breathing, laying down and breathing. And yes, there's a lot of resistance that comes up and which is a great practice to look at our life and see what we are resisting. Is there anything in life we are resisting? And when we do breath work, or at least for me, when I do breath work and I resist something and then suddenly manage to push through that resistance, I feel such a beauty, such a love inside of me. I feel so strong and powerful. And from that, I learned that if I push through any resistance in my life, I can achieve whatever I want, right? Because I stop resisting and just accepting what is happening and going on. Yeah, I I, I like to think of that. And I mean, the way that I the modality that I teach that is what you just witnessed there, what you just described to us for those listening, you know, it's like there's a part of you that really needs to be seen, heard, witnessed to matter, to, to, to have its existence realized. But then there's another part that really won't let that happen. Like, Mm -hmm. so, so hands comes along and says, um, you've got some problems going on, Lee. Yeah. And unbeknown to me, it's because this part of me is stuck in a coffin. It's not allowed to express itself through feeling or thought or voice or anything. 
this part keeps blocking its resistance. And Hans says, well, we could do an hour breathwork session. Then this protector part, we want to keep this other sensitive part in the coffin. It will be saying, oh, an hour? Um, what, I got to do that? Oh, my, my throat's dry. Uh, I need water. This isn't going to work. This is stupid. What if my kid comes in? And it just brings up everything it can to prevent hands and hands is guidance to allow me to find a power for my breathwork to release that coffin, right? <laughs> and often when I wait in the five times I've been in, in, in the breathwork sessions, at the end of it, it's really interesting, especially when you have all the screens up and you can see all the different people. Mm-hmm. You see so many people, me included, in absolute floods of tears. And then you see other people like, did I do something wrong? <laughs> you know, and I often think, you know, through my own personal experience, that there, there, there needs to be a, a practice or guidance from yourself or something that allows you the ability to let go, the, the ability for that resistant part to just say, hey, okay, I'm going to trust this process and see where it goes. Then great things can happen, right? But I, but, I, but I imagine people could show up and just be resistant, 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 and not really get the true benefit. They'll get some benefit, but not what you experience, for example. Right. Uh, one of the main principles in this breathwork is to trust the process. Just trust whatever is happening and then surrender. And yes, as long as we resist it will persist, whatever we are resisting. And like you said, it's when we do breath work, the idea is to get out of the thinking mind or the ego mind. And there's always that ego mind's defense, like, oh, like you said, I'm too thirsty. I'm too hungry. I can't do this for an hour. This is too much work. Um, I'd rather go drink another beer. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want other people on this call to see me cry. There's so much, right? Like, Right. And and you said whatever we resist persists. Um, just to you know, there's something we call the death effect in in our work at Strive, where we don't we don't know what we don't know. So for those of you listening, it's very likely as well that your resistance will be that powerful that you don't know you have it. So you could do a breathwork session with hands, nothing's working. And it's because you're being really resistant, but you will fight against that. <laughs> You'll be like, I'm not resistant. I, I went in and gave everything. Resistance is so nuanced. It's so complicated. It's so, it's so sneaky. It's so, it's so good at what it does. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is why we have coaching and breathwork sessions over prolonged periods of time, right? To, to slowly break down more and more layers and, and layers of that resistance to get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Right. Yes. And sometimes even thinking, I'm doing so much, I'm doing it so right. Why am I not feeling something? That's another resisting because you're resisting what you are currently feeling and you think you need to feel something different. And your mind says, man, I want to I wanna drop in. I want to have experience like everybody else had. I want to go that deep. Why is not happening? Yeah. And because you're just resisting how you're currently feeling. And that was a good example of jumping into the, the mind, 
because yeah, yeah, when you say the thinking mind, uh, my image I'm bringing up is the thinking mind, the ego mind, the head, and um, where we really want to be is in our body, right? Like in our heart, in our lungs, in our stomach, in our in our groin. Like just get away from thinking and more into feeling, right? Right. Mm. And I guess that brings me back to drinking beer because we are resisting what we're currently feeling and we want to, we expect that we need to feel something else. So we drink beer to cover that feeling, but instead we can just accept the feeling and push through it. And eventually it will dissolve once we stop resisting it. This is where we go back to this, uh, the paradox of simplicity isn't it because it's like oh wow i'm feeling alone um and then the phone goes and it's lee and lee's like hey hans um i'm gonna come around and bring in some beers oh wait there minute. no i'll be there in a minute and i walk in the door with the beers and i sit down and i go how's it going and you say actually um not so good uh, i just realized that i don't like being alone Oh, well, you're not alone. Here, have a beer. Yeah, and, and, and part of the problem that I realized is I don't actually like drinking alcohol. The only reason I drink it is because I'm terrified that you will leave me if I don't. And I just wanted to share that with you, that it makes me feel terrified that you will leave me if I don't drink alcohol. And it just sounds so simple just to say that. <laughs> but we can't, <laughs> you know, it's like, we can't say that because he will leave us. <laughs> right. Because we don't like to admit our weaknesses, right? Mm -hmm. We want to be strong. We don't want to admit, wait a minute, I feel lonely. I, we... <sighs> Do you, what I just said there though, Hans, right? Yeah. Does that come from a strong, powerful man or does that come from a weakling prince? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. This is think... paradigm. I think it's part of being a strong masculine man to accept, uh, to admit your weaknesses and not pretend to be strong. Mm. Mm. If we admit to ourselves and to others that we have weaknesses, we don't no longer need to hide them or try to cover them up. We can be accepting them. Mm. You just made me realize the pressure that people are right. under wearing all those masks all that armor trudging around <laughs> and then this is why through a breathwork session like you slowly and surely or sometimes in one big bang moment that happened to me my first breathwork session my my armor and my mask just went you know i couldn't stop sobbing me i you know it was like um yeah so much pressure to conform right right and once we drop that mask and stop pretending and finally be who we are all this pressure goes all this all this pressure all this need to be someone else mm. is breath work just one hour holotropic holotropic sessions or is there something that the people listening to this i mean hey i encourage you all to go and have sessions with hands i've had uh, five sessions uh, myself of breath work, not with hands. Um, I've been in a breath work session with hands, but not facilitated by hands. Um, and for me, each one of them has up leveled me, in, you know, dramatically. So I, I would definitely encourage that. Um, but what about 
breathwork and breathing in general on a day-to-day basis? Because I notice when my alarm goes off every two hours and I check in with myself, very often I've stopped breathing, for example, right? So what's your what's your comments on that? So doing these breathwork sessions has brought much more breath awareness to my life. And I use it all day long because I'm, I'm so aware now of my breath and the power of my breath. For example, before I go to, when I lay down to sleep, I, I focus on deep diaphragmatic breaths and I fall asleep within 10 seconds. If I ever wake up at night and in the past, my mind started talking and wondering and chatting instead of listening to my mind, I just focus on my breath, deep diaphragmatic breaths, and I fall right back asleep. And I use that all throughout the day. If I notice my mind starts talking or I'm getting upset or start feeling emotions, just by focusing on the breath, even if it's just one, two, three deep breaths, it Mm. can change the moment quite quick. (laughs) It's like... We were born, God, Allah, Buddha, whatever you want to call it, gave us an instruction manual. And then we, like we do with all games, we just ignored it and just got into it. And actually, if you dug the instruction manual out and and said, what happens when I feel anxious? Go to page 22 and it'll probably say, if you feel anxious, inhale through your nose (laughs) and breathe out through your mouth. Yeah, it's that simple. Like we've given the tools to be able to to deal with the most incredible loss, upset, uh, harm, all kinds of stuff. And breathing seems like such a a part. It seems like it's a massive sword that we're just not using to vanquish this. Like we're choosing to use a, a, a chopstick to fight this dragon when we've got a sword on our back all this time and we don't, we don't use it. Right. And when we are born, babies automatically <clears throat> breathe into the belly. They do the dark dramatic breath breathing. But when they are one year old, they children typically forgot how to do this breathing and start doing a shallow chest breath. Mm. And also when we have any trauma in our lives, when we get scared, when we feel feel fear, we usually hold our breath. So a lot of people who have trauma, they have some episodes in life where they started holding their breath or showing, slowing down the breath. And lose the connection to the breath. And when we bring this breath awareness to us, we can bring so much more presence and awareness again into our lives. Mm, beautiful. When I first started diaphragmatic breathing, it used to hurt like it would hurt my diaphragm. <laughs> and, and it's just because it wasn't used to it. Right. And I just realized in this moment, just doing it while you're speaking, that it doesn't hurt no more. Mm. <laughs> so through practice. Uh, Hans, how can people get hold of you? What have you got going on right now? You talked a little bit about in the beginning you were using Nikhil to help you, you know, get your business up and running and stuff. So, so where are you? How can people find you? So I do have a website which is called numorphosis.com. I don't know if you can um, type that in 
maybe I yeah. can. Yeah, send when you send me. Yeah, when you send me your bios, just send send that those links to me. Yeah, I'm also on Facebook as Hans Weigold or at Noom Offices mm-hmm. and Instagram. And at this moment, I do two free breathwork sessions a month where everybody can join. And I also offer private breathwork sessions for one-on-one sessions that include a coaching call and a call to set intentions and work on what you are dealing with or want to resolve in your life. And yeah, then I also offered uh, paid group reference sessions. Mm. Okay. So there you have it. We will supply some show notes. You can get hold of hands. Um, if not, email me at the strive method at gmail.com and I'll put you in touch with him. Uh, like I said, my own personal experience, I've had about five breathwork sessions. You may ask, why not have more Lee? <laughs> Probably resistance, uh, if I'm being honest, you know, probably resistance uh, that I don't understand and don't know about. Um, but each time for me, allowing myself to trust the process and to trust the guide and to fully allow myself to um, open myself up to the possibility that I don't know everything has really led to some quite profound experiences. So um, please do check out Hans and his work. And if you have any questions for him at all, just email me at the strive method at gmail.com. Hans has shown that by using his holotropic breathing, stop drinking alcohol. And most of you listening to this want that very thing. So, well, and even deeper than that, um, he doesn't feel as alone as he used to and he's dealt with those demons as well so Hans thank you very much for joining I really appreciate you brother anything else you want to say to the people before I let you go yeah just uh, one last thing you said why only five breathwork sessions and resistance my first breathwork session like I said really got me in a really deep state like a psychedelic experience yet it took me although I was completely convinced it took me another year before I did it again. And then it took me another year before I did it on a regular basis. Although I always said, oh, yes, I'm going to do it next work, next work. But then <laughs> always excuses and resistance came up. But yes, it's very powerful to integrate it as a, as a regular practice. Well, okay, thank you well, for, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. It doesn't make me feel as bad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, thank you so much for your time and the opportunity for this interview. No worries. I appreciate you, brother.